If you would take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. We're going to read the entire chapter. Luke 21. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. He saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come, in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. They ask him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign, what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. The time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. When shall we hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. For these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he to them, Nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilences, fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. For all these they shall lay their hands on you, and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom. So all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay, nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed, both by parents, and brethren, and kinsfolk, and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. There shall not a hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know ye that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. They shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles unto the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth and distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And spake to them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know that your own selves, that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, 
lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear to him in the temple for to hear him. You know, this passage of scripture, <clears throat> of course, was a message given by Jesus just days before his arrest and crucifixion. And it gives instructions to his disciples as to the difficulties they will face in their beloved city, Jerusalem. Interestingly, Jesus tells his disciples how to deliver themselves from those days of vengeance. And that's what he calls them, days of vengeance, verse 22. And there's a reason for that. We'll look at that a little bit later. But just as he tells us how we can be delivered from the wrath to come. Now, both Matthew, this, there's a parallel passage in Matthew and Mark from this chapter, but both Matthew and Luke make it clear, I believe, that Jesus spoke both of the coming destruction of Jerusalem, which is past, and the ultimate end of the age and his glorious return, and the judgments that's going to come on the, on the earth prior to that time. For example, he says in verse 20 and 22, you which are in Judea, so he's speaking there specifically to the Jewish people, at the time when Rome destroyed Jerusalem. But in verses 25 to 28, he's speaking about the whole earth. So, so he's covering both. The, and, and there's many similarities to the, both situation and time periods. And, and so many times people get them confused, but the, keep those things in mind. So as we consider this chapter... And the destruction of Jerusalem is an example of what to come. Spurgeon said this, quote, We must regard the siege of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, as being a kind of rehearsal of what is yet to be, unquote. So I've titled those messages this morning simply, Living in the Last Days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we privilege we have to meet together here this morning. And Father, I pray that as we look into the word of God today, that you would challenge us and quicken our hearts and our minds uh, to be sensitive and submissive and devoted to keeping your word, to obeying your truth, to hold fast until you come for us, to walk in the spirit as you've commanded us to, to do, we pray. Lord, if there's any in our midst who are not prepared, for that soon, what we believe to be the soon coming, the imminent appearance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They've never been born again, repenting of their sin, putting their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus to save them. I pray that the Spirit of God would convict them this morning. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we consider this passage of Scripture and in light of living in the last days, a couple of things I want to note. First of all, the right use of possessions. In verses 1 through 4, the first thing I want to mention is that we need to willingly give sacrificially. And, of course, I don't want to spend a lot of time in this. Brother Mitchell talked about all about these things when he... But, but as we consider the widow, in verse 1, it says, He looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts to the treasury. He saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. Now, two mites is pennies. Maybe a day's wages at the most, or half a day's wages. 
It's really nothing compared to what others were casting in. But he said in verse 3, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God, but she of her penury, or extreme poverty, hath cast in all the living that she had. You know, last week we looked at how the scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees were robbing the widows. <laughs> this may have been one of those. But here she is, she cast in two mites. And the Lord observing the People casting in their money. Of course, the Lord knows all things. He knows what, how much we all have. He knows what we give. And he, and he said, this widow hath cast in more than the all. You know, and, and, and of course, the Pharisees were, were you know, they, they gave to be seen of men. But the Lord here instructs us that we need to give sacrificially, sacrificially and willingly. Someone has said, the Lord considers the sacrifice of the poor as greater than the offering out of abundance of the rich. I've heard it said this way, the Lord counts what you keep, not what you give. And so we need to willingly give sacrificially of the things that we have to the Lord. Secondly, possessions are to be used to glorify God, not the work of men. In verses 5 and 6, he says, And some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. And he said, And as for these things, and he said, As for these things, which ye behold. In other words, you're just gazing on it. Which they did. And there was a reason for that. But the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now the temple, this temple, was originally rebuilt by Zerubbabel and Ezra. Ezra chapter 6, verse 15 talks about it. But it was greatly expanded and improved by Herod. Of course, it was the center of Jewish life for almost a thousand years. And after Herod, you know, the temple was huge. Uh, it was nearly 500 yards long and 400 yards wide. And the original temple, Solomon's temple, was only 180 feet long and 90 feet wide. So that's 30 yards wide, and what did I say, 180, that's uh, uh, 60, 60 yards. So, so it's this, this, this temple that Herod has, has, is huge. It was, you know, he, he started rebuilding in 19 B.C., and it was completed in 63 A.D. So he spent 70 years or 80 years working on this thing, and... <clears throat> It was only finished seven years before it was destroyed. You know, it, was a, it was ordained, or, 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 ordained, adorned with beautiful stones and donations. It wasn't just big, as one writer said, it was beautiful. The Jewish, Jewish historian Josephus said the temple was covered on the outside with gold plates that were so brilliant that when the sun shone on them, it was blinding to look at. And where there was no gold, there were huge blocks of white marble, so pure and white that from a distance, travelers thought there was snow on the temple mount. So here is this monstrosity of a beautiful, ornate building. For what purpose? 
For what purpose? To offer some sacrifices? To kill animals to cover the sins of the people? You know, that ugly tabernacle served that purpose sufficiently. You know, the temple itself had become an idol of the Jewish people. You know, Jesus said, you've made my house of prayer a house of merchandise and a den of thieves. The temple was so revered in that day that it was customary to swear by the temple. And speaking against the temple could be considered blasphemy. In fact, they accused Jesus of that at one point. You see, it wasn't even practical. In Luke chapter 12, <clears throat> Luke chapter 12, Jesus gave us a warning concerning possessions. In verses 16 through 21, the parable of the rich fuel, it says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, Jesus isn't saying there's, there's, it's wrong to have possessions. He's saying it's wrong to just lay them up for yourself. You know, the Jews were consumed with themselves and their beautiful temple and had forgotten the purpose of the temple. It had become an idol. There's always a danger of our possessions becoming idols to us. Becoming idols to us. You know, our possessions are to be used to glorify God, not exalt ourselves. So there needs to be a right use of possessions. Secondly, there needs to be a, a devotion of purpose as we think about living in the last days. In verse 14, he makes this statement, Settle it therefore in your hearts. Settle it therefore in your hearts. Now as we, as we think about this having devotion of purpose, uh, we need to have it settled in our hearts. We need to be uh, walking with the Lord. And I want to give you several reasons from this chapter uh, that is so. First of all, we need to be able to discern false teachers. You know, just as it is today, there was in Jesus' day, or, or not, not in Jesus' day, the, the days immediately following the Lord Jesus, there were false Christs, those claiming to be the Messiah. In verse 8 he says, and he said, Take heed that you be not deceived. Now he's speaking here particularly to the disciples and, and, and addressing the Jews at that time. He's not here addressing, although it has an application to us today, but the, 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 the context here is addressing them during that time and the destruction of the temple. So and he says, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. So they needed to be able to discern false teachers. You know, 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, 
but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, we need to be aware of strange doctrine. Uh, Proverbs uh, 6, verse 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of destruction are the way of life, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. And so here, you know, we, we, and there's an application there to false teachers are like a strange woman that will seduce you into straying or committing adultery against the Lord. Isaiah 8.20, Isaiah warned the people, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this world, it is because there is no light in them. And when the Romans came against Jerusalem, we are told, Josephus says that 6,000 refugees who perished in the flames of the temple porticos, deluded by a false prophet, who had on that day proclaimed to the people in the city that God commanded them to go up to the temple court to receive there the tokens of their deliverance. And that was the day that a drunken Roman soldier threw a flaming torch into it, and they all perished. What were they doing? Following a false Christ. Well, we need to take heed. We need to have it be devoted to the Lord so that we can that beware of false prophets and not give heed to seducing spirits. We need to be, we need to be devoted to the Lord and so that we have to answer every man. Notice verses 14 and 15 again. It says, Settle not it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Now, uh, <clears throat> he says that we're not to meditate before what we shall answer. Now, the idea here is, you know, we need to be walking with the Lord so that whenever the situation arises, we're ready. First Peter 3, 13 to 15 says this, Who is he who will harm you if you be followers of that is good? I mean, if you're a good guy, you would think that nobody will harm you. But, Verse 14, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reasonable hope is in you with meekness and fear. You see, you should so have the honor of your, uh, uh, the Lord should have the honor of your heart and your life. You need to be yielded to Him, so as to be used as a vessel to bring honor to Him you being his mouthpiece, so that when you are taken or asked, you're taken before those who may ridicule you, or you are asked of the reason, you have an answer. See, the idea here is you've, you've set the word of God in your heart. And when somebody asks you, the Spirit of God can use you to give a right answer. You know, when you knock on a door, you don't know what questions people are going to ask you. So how do you meditate beforehand what you're going to answer? If you just give pat answers, they're going to say, 
He's fake. He only knows certain things. And if you get him off those few things that he knows, you know, if you get a lot of soul winners off the Romans road, they'd be lost. They wouldn't know what to do. Because they really don't know their Bibles all that well. No, we need to have the we need to have to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. You know, this is more than just memorizing scripture. It's also walking with the Lord so that the Spirit of God can bring to mind so that we are yielded to Him so the Spirit of God has control of us and the Spirit of God will bring to mind the things that we need to say. But if you're not walking in harmony with the Spirit, it's not likely to happen. Proverbs 16 Verse 3 says, Commit thy works on the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. And so, we need to be prepared to have an answer to every man. We be walking in the Spirit. There needs to be also patient endurance through all of this. In verses 16 through 19, he says, And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. There shall not a hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. Patience. The word patience here has the idea of endurance. Endurance. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You know, there is, there is tribulation that we must patiently endure when we enter the kingdom of God, when we're born again. That word tribulation there means pressure, oppression, trials. See, it's no longer popular to say, you believe the Bible or hold the Bible convictions. There's another cake baker in California this time is being sued by the Sodomites again. Thankfully, a judge sided with her, but it's going to go on to the courts. So she's got a temporary stay at least. But anyway, you know, there is constant pressure by the world to adopt the world's music. And there was pressure in those days. There was intense pressure. You know, it came from brethren, it came from parents, brethren, kinsmen, friends. <clears throat> it still does. <clears throat> and we have the constant pressure to adopt the world's music. It's dress fashions, social drinking, and on and on we could go. The idea of, of getting saved actually changes your life is now foreign to most who say they are born again. Romans 12, 2 still says, Be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Titus 2, 11 says, The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. 1 John 2, 15, still in the Bible, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
And there are going to be pressures that are put upon us. Pressures to conform. Pressures to fit in with society, to go along with their lifestyles. But we must patiently endure. He says, in your patience possess ye your souls. And so, there needs, there needs to be a right use of possessions. That's devotion of purpose. But I want you to notice a third thing here. And we can rejoice in this, or it, it may be a cause of alarm. The word of the Lord will be fulfilled. Now, in verse 5 and 6, Jesus makes a statement which to many was unthinkable or impossible. In verse 5 and 6, he says, And some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. He said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left, notice, one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, of course, this temple was humongous. There were huge stones. You know, what would be the purpose of taking... If you would look at, looked at the building, you would ask this to destroy it. What would be the purpose, or why would anyone take the time to take all the stones down clear to the ground? I mean, if you were an army, if you wanted to just destroy this church, and you had no, no plans of putting anything else up on this site, if you just wanted to ransack the place and destroy it, you just set fire to it. But there'd be a lot of stuff left. I mean, it's concrete block walls. And those block walls would still be there. Now, consider that stone. Now, stones have cracks more than concrete. So, in Jesus here predicting the complete destruction of the strongest and most secure building in Jerusalem. And, of course, that's where the, the last survivors fled. <coughs> And the soldiers surrounded it, Roman soldiers surrounded it, and one drunken soldier started a fire that soon engulfed the whole building. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the ornate gold detail work in the roof melted down into the cracks of the stones. And the Roman commander ordered that the temple be dismantled stone by stone get all the gold out of the cracks. You know, the destruction, you know, the, the destruction was so complete, they don't even know to this day where it exactly was. See, my point is, when Jesus makes a statement, it's going to be fulfilled to the letter. You can count on it. Now, when he made that statement, I'm sure there were a lot of people standing there and said, yeah, right, that'll never happen. And 
if it had been somebody else? Yeah, I said, yeah. Why would you? Why would you take the time to just get rid of all those stones? Because there's gold in the cracks. You know, he predicted wars and commotions in verse 9. When you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end is not by and by. <clears throat> there were wars preceding the destruction of Jerusalem. Romans were frequently at war with the Jews, Samaritans, Syrians, and others. Uh, and, and the Roman Empire had notable earthquakes before Jerusalem was destroyed. There were famines. There was one mentioned in Acts chapter 11. You know, in the greater Roman Empire, there were fearful sights. The destruction of Pompeii was only seven years before. Destroyed by a volcano. That was Sin City. And it was completely destroyed. No survivors. There were signs in the heavens. There was a comet looked like a sword in the sky over Jerusalem before its destruction, we are told. You know what Jesus said? There's going to be wars, commotions, signs. But I want you to notice the third thing here. Our loving Lord gave assurance of deliverance to his disciples from the days of vengeance. Go to verse 20. It says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. So the Lord here instructs his disciples how to be delivered. And, of course, he says these are the days of vengeance. Now, look, look, go back for a minute, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. You know, Jesus spoke of this a little earlier in Luke chapter 11 when he announces woes upon the lawyers. In Luke chapter 11, verse 49, Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. So he, he's saying that you know this generation is going to see the vengeance of God poured out on it. Because they have the the slaying of the prophets, and which will culminate, of course, in the slaying of the Lord himself. In Hosea chapter 9, verse 7 says, The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of thine iniquity and thy great See, these were the days of vengeance that God poured out on the earth, on those people. One commentator said, many Jews expected the Messiah to return in glory when hostile Gentile armies surrounded Jerusalem. However, Christians in Jerusalem knew what Jesus had said and obeyed him, fleeing across the Jordan River, mostly to Pella, which is... uh, to the east and south of Galilee, which, which is now the region of Jordan. And he said, if any Christians 
perished in the fall of Jerusalem. The ancient Christian historian Eusebius wrote that the Christians fled the Pella in response to an oracle given by revelation. Of course, in simply in obeying what the Lord said, they fled. And perish not with the rest. See, the reality is, those who listened, those who obeyed, were delivered. And so, and even to us, you know, deliverance is secured here, that deliverance is secured through a right relationship. Um, and I don't have time to go through all this because I don't want to put you all to sleep this morning. But uh, in verses 33 through 36, he says, Heaven and earth shall pass away. Now, he's referring now to the end times, what, which I believe we're living in. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves. So now he's addressing us. Take heed to yourselves at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. So now he's not talking about just Jerusalem and Judea. He's talking about the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So those who listen and obey the gospel by repenting of their sin and putting their faith in Christ will escape the vengeance of Almighty God that will be poured out on this wicked world. Go to 2 Thessalonians for just a minute. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So God is going to take vengeance on them that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word vengeance here means to vindicate one from wrongs. It's the accomplish, to accomplish the avenging of you know, the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 9, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We'll go to Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to see that one of these days, you know, though God is long-suffering, God is patient, not willing that any should perish, one day His justice will be poured out. Somebody has said, I think it was Thomas Jefferson said, God's justice will not sleep forever. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. 
And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So here, you know, John gets a picture or a vision of those who have been, who've been put to death, who have been martyred for their faith, as it were, under the altar, and they're crying, Lord, how long? Verse 17, it says, or 16 and 17, and said to the mountains, and here's those on the earth now, said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? In, in chapter 16, chapter 16, <clears throat> Verse 1, and heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. Every living soul died in the sea. Third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shalt be, because thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. You see, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. But one of these days, He's going to judge this wicked world because of their wickedness and their vengeance against God's people and His Son. And He's going to give them what they gave. You shed blood, you like shedding blood? I'll give you blood to drink. Noisome, grievous sores. It's almost sickening. I don't know if any of you ever read some of the tortures used in the Inquisition against Baptist forefathers. One of these days, and there's the souls of those are still crying, Lord, how long? But the days of vengeance are coming. But the, the instruction the Lord gives us for these last days before His return is this, not to be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, and cares. Now let me define a few words here quickly. Overcharge means weighed down. Surfeiting, giddiness from being intoxicated, it also can mean dizzy, impulsive, crying out or bawling. I think the picture is emotionally unstable. We've got a world full of people that can't handle life. They're on drugs. You realize a lot of homeless people are educated? They just can't handle life. 
course, drunkenness, that means intoxicated. And cares refers to anxiety. But, you know, you might say, well, you know, this is referring to people that, you know, are drunk and drinking. I really don't think that's what it means. There's an important few words here that I think we need to understand. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. He's not talking particularly about the body. The heart refers to the seat and center of all physical and spiritual life, the soul or the mind, as it is in the fountain seat of the thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, or endeavors. We're not talking about just being drunk with wine. We're talking about being drunk or surfeiting, giddy and impulsive or ball baby-like and, and about the cares and the pressures of life. We can't handle it. I read one time where was one person said, you know, I wonder what would happen in the United States if doctors, if all of a sudden there was no antidepressants available. You know, sometimes we hear people talk and we think, man, it almost sounds like what appear to be sometimes normal people are on drugs. They live on them. Prescription, of course. So that's okay. And so the warning is to us not to be overcome with the pressures, the tribulation, the distresses that are in the world. You could become drunk with them, controlled by them. Make decisions based on the stress of emotions and not in obedience to the word of God. And I'm afraid that's what many are doing. Many churches and Christians are doing this very thing. They're giving in to the pressures. They're going mainstream or they're going contemporary. They want to be like the world to win the world. They want to fit in. They don't want to be different anymore. You know, when a Jew got baptized... He knew it meant pressure. Because he would be forsaken by parents, by his brethren, his kinsmen, and his friends. He'd be cut off. There was extreme pressure against Jews that converted to Christianity. Extreme. We have no clue. I knew a guy, and Shaw was his last name in Altoona, Pennsylvania, whose parents had a funeral service for him because he got baptized and joined a Baptist church. And you know, with the closer we get to the Lord's return, the more the world's going to pressure us. They're going to pressure us to fit in, to go along with 
their social agendas. We as a church are going to be pressured to say, well, sodomy is okay. To not say anything about it. Transgenderism, all these things. Of course, you know, a lot of other issues that have led to that, the rest issue. And social drinking is coming in. No. You know, we're, we're being warned not to become drunk to the pressures, but to be faithful to the Lord. He says in verse 36, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. We, 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 God commands us to be faithful. You know, and those who are faithful, who truly repent, will be counted worthy. Go to, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll escape the judgment to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken, here's that drunken again, and it means to be controlled. Drunken are drunk in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith. You know, we need to hold fast to, to our faith in Christ. Faith in His Word. Heaven and earth pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So we put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us under wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together unto him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. You see, God's not appointed us for the day of vengeance. He's promised us deliverance, just as he instructed his disciples, deliverance from the destruction of Jerusalem. If we hold fast, if we're faithful, if we put our faith and trust, truly repent and, and put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will escape the wrath to come on this wicked, evil world. You know, I read 2 Thessalonians 1.10 says, When he shall become to be glorified in his saints. Daniel 12.3 says, And they that be wise, they that put their faith and trust in Christ, they who f- obey God's word, will be wise and shall shine as the brightness of a firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. See, though there's going to be great judgment come over the whole earth, God's not appointed us to it. What did the Apostle John say? We are not of this world. And if we are not of this world, we're not going to receive the judgment of this world. So we need to be faithful. 
We need to have a true relationship with our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. By repentance, realizing that we're a sinner, unable to save ourselves, and putting our complete trust and faith in Him as our Lord and as our Savior. Are you prepared for these last days? Are you prepared for the coming judgment? You know, God has given us. God has given us instructions how we can, this isn't the right word, but survive. How we can endure. How we can go forward, even in trying times. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so God has given us instructions. He's not left us without warning of the things that are going to come upon the earth. We know they're going to come to pass. We know beforehand. We should have insight. We are the children of light. So let's walk children of light and be a witness to those that walk in darkness.